Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast, living large in New York. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. Dave Anderson. And today, we're talking about the fight of the century. It's product versus tech. Yeah, that's right. It's Godzilla versus King Kong. Which one's which? It is hard to tell. They both have their downsides and their upsides. Yeah, and I think we're both tech individuals and software engineers, but we got a special guest in the building. He's going to defend the product and we'll probably destroy. Yeah, contender who's going to (laughs) destroy both of us at the same time, single-handedly. We have Rob O'Brien in the building. How's it going, Rob? That's good, man. How are you guys doing? Chilling, chilling. Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my background started in... uh, Information science technology, which gives me a little bit of a background in tech. So learn the basics of development and app and all that, but with a mix of project and product management and have managed engineering teams, but have also coached product people and build out product teams. So I think I got the right skill set to, to hold my own in this little bit of a battle. Yeah, I think, I'll, I think I'll go Godzilla on this one. <laughs> oh, 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 I didn't see the movie, bro. Okay. That's not fair. You have the draft pick of Godzilla? Yeah. All right. All right. Fine. Well, I'll take King Kong. The draft. Yeah, we'll, we'll both be King Kong. We'll, we'll right, do some yeah. it's, Voltron it's, it's, kind King of deal. Kong team. I'll be Diddy Kong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So let's talk about, I think uh, we were doing the outline for this episode and I learned a new word and it's called faux pas. And both of y'all <laughs> had helped me out in pronunciation pronouncing that word fox pass yeah because it was like full pass <laughs> and i was like is this the fox pass it's not it's the full pass so we're going to talk first about rob we're going to talk about the product first i'm sorry the outline was written that way i promise we didn't do that on purpose no you gotta just hit them hit them low you know we're fighting dirty <laughs> I'm in your world. It's two on one. You know, like whatever, whatever you guys want, you know? Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about some of the, the product missteps that happen. What are some things that, you know, we may see product managers in the wild do and how do we address some of those issues and what can we do to like, you know, bring a resolution to certain things? I mean, I feel like sometimes you get in a situation where everything is top priority and that can be so frustrating. And it's not always the product person's fault, but, you know, I, I could blame them. Yeah. I, oh, Rob will blame. Okay, great. Yeah. Just take the punch. <laughs> I'll blame Sorry. I'll, ca- I'll counter it. Don't worry. <laughs> so then my question, my, so I have a, I have a question. And so, I mean, I've been in, in development teams that where that happens, right? There's, there's a lot of thrashing where like you're working on this one thing and it's the most important thing. And then suddenly there's this new thing that you have to dive into for the next sprint. Rob, you say that that is the product manager's fault. Dave, did you think that it was like someone higher, like uh, like a C-suite or like someone else who has input in the work that gets done? Was I mean, I feel your- like you can end up with like so many stakeholders that are all trying to like get their own thing into the pipeline. And like to them, each thing is most important. And then or even if there's like different users or different kinds of users that are represented in the product, like there may be the most important thing for a different each user, but you know, in the end, one thing has to be the most important thing that is worked on. Yeah, there's something really interesting we always say when we when we coach junior product people or people who want to learn how to be a product manager, a product owner. And one of the pieces is you say no a lot more than you say yes. Right. I'm saying yes once to some person at some short time frame and I'm saying no to everyone else because you can't you can't have a million priorities. You have to have one. So everyone's saying no for now and one person and one thing is yes for now. 
right, and use concepts like sprints and you know whatever else you could be doing to to get that priority straight and to say this is the goal, this is the focus. Everything else is a no for now. Oh, I love that. Like so, it's like your blinders are on. Like you have said no to the whole universe of possibilities except for these ten stories or like you know your ten, twenty points or whatever you're committing to for that sprint. Exactly. The the no to yes ratio needs to be very disproportionate. <laughs> and that's how you know you're doing it right. Otherwise, you're you're going to be doing the faux pas that we're talking about here, where your dev team's like, what are we doing? And what's the highest priority? Because I don't see a priority. I just see a list. <laughs> very different. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm not that person because I usually say yes to everything <laughs> and then nothing will get done. That is a huge, huge problem. So as you mentioned, it's just the uh, being mindful of who you say yes to. And by saying yes, you have to turn down everything to make sure that the the thing you did say yes to gets done. That's good. That's good to know. I think I've felt the extreme end of everything being top priority. I know that it can definitely cause some burnout. And I think that if the product manager can laser focus on the thing that gets done, if the product manager can focus on the thing that can get done, by saying no to everything else, then not everything is top priority. This one thing is top priority. We need to get it done. And I think that, Rob, do you think it's the product manager's job to identify or figure out what is the thing that is top priority and how do you come to that conclusion that it is top priority over the other things? Yeah, it, it's absolutely product person's priority. It, it is their number one job. It is the hardest and most important thing you can do is saying no to everyone except for the one or two people you are saying yes to for that duration. There's a lot of different techniques you can use for it. Prioritization techniques, there's Rice, there's Moscow, there's all these different prioritization techniques that you can use to have a fact based behind this. And it's the technique itself isn't what's important, but using that as a tool to say, this isn't my gut feel or my opinion here's the data and the framework I use behind it. And we can now disagree on something that is, you know, not an opinion. It is, it is a, a, a framework that we're using and using that to align with all the people you said no to, to say, look, can, you know, here's the data. Do you want to argue with that? Great. Then let's change the data. But, you know, trying to take it away from, I think this is the most important to, to this framework is telling us it's the most important is, is a really, really big and important tool for, for product people to use. Right. So Moscow, that's like the classic, like most could, should, would. Yeah, exactly. What is rice? I honestly don't think I've ever heard of rice before and I'm getting hungry. Yeah. So rice is a framework that consists of four attributes that you use to judge and prioritize each piece of the thing you're trying to prioritize or the item you're trying to prioritize. It's made up of, it's just an acronym. So there's reach. How many people is this feature or story or goal going to touch? Impact, how much impact will it have on the people that it is reaching? Confidence, how confident are we that we can finish it? And effort, which is, you know, I look to developers to tell me, what is the level of effort to complete this? So those give you that that nice full mix of things to say, we can use that scoring and we can talk about, well, the effort on that is extremely high and the impact is extremely low. Is that the right thing to work on? Probably not. Yeah. And then it's just like, it's not feelings, you know, I know like this feels very important to you, but the math says, or like the, the label is that, you know, low impact, low effort, like, or what have you. I do want to throw a counterpunch here, a counterpunch to a product person will do the faux pas of making everything top priority. The devs faux pas is over committing and giving us too many things that would give us the ability to prioritize. So I might say these are the top four priorities. 
And the dev says, we can do all four this spring. Ooh, oh, <laughs> no, you yeah. can't. No, you can't. You just lied to me. It was only two, and you just screwed up everything. No. So it's right. a balance, right? That's why it's it's so it's a lot less of Okay, so I, I think I think the, the big lesson is the power of no. You can say <laughs> the power of no on both sides. The power, exactly. yeah. yeah. It's not just Every- a product person at this point, right? If the dev team needs to also be realistic and say, no. We can only do two of the four or our velocity shows that we will complete X amount of points, which means that we might be able to get one or two of your requests done. It's yeah. a great way to train your product person. You can train your product person to only pick one top priority by only saying we can do one thing this sprint. <laughs> Rob, <laughs> and then Rob, you get a second thing, you know, that's, that's just bonus. Yeah. Rob, I think we could do all of them, bro. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel like when we were coming, when we were thinking of like all of our pet peeves, like this list is also that. Like, it's like, can we say yes to all these? I'm gonna say yes to all of it, Rob. I'm ruining it. <laughs> Another thing: acceptance criteria, like Uh-oh. grooming, like getting in the grooming. Like sometimes you will get a ticket that is just like, please build the thing i swear to you like i have literally gotten a ticket where it was like there is an entire page and it has all of the features and functionality and it's like here is a ticket for the page just make the page the same as the old page you know doing a cut over like to a new technology just make it the same build it build the thing Oh, man. Yeah. So the idea of having unclear acceptance criteria from the product person given to a developer, and then we have to figure it out. I think what makes it worse is when you when you do it, like let's say like, you did your best, you looked at the picture, you made it, and you bring it back. And it's like, no, that's not exactly what I wanted. And it's like, wait, but you didn't ask for anything. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the thing that kills me about this is that it makes it really hard to talk about trade-offs. So like, if you're just like, do this thing then like how do i decide like how do i how i can ship sooner or like what is really the most important of this whole like cornucopia of uh different buttons and widgets and things in the in inside of this thing yeah i think i think the biggest thing there for product people is that you can't you gotta you gotta force yourself into certain frameworks to challenge yourself there's a lot you can learn from bdd behavior-driven development to make sure you're thinking about what is the behavior the functionality is trying to drive. And I've done this with, with like data products where there is no, it's, there's no front end software, but you can still follow the same format. A really common one is Gherkins that comes out of this, which is given when then, and you're saying given the preconditions, what has to be true beforehand, when the action that whoever or whatever system this is, is taking, and then then, which is the result that you want afterwards. It's quite hard. It sometimes feels overly complicated to, stru- to, to use that structure. But for product people, forcing yourself to use that structure will get you away from just writing really long paragraphs about what you want it to do or being like, make the thing work. I don't know how to phrase this. It gives you that structure and a starting point that the team can then, the dev team can give you feedback on. Yeah, it definitely makes it easier to like articulate. Although sometimes you you... You end up in the form of like, as a user, I want blah so that I can do the other thing. But then like there's sometimes there's no really deep thought about like what the user is or those other criteria. And then it just like seems very samey. 
So that's different. So what you're talking about is not acceptance criteria. What you're talking about is the user story. Oh, is the top, okay. Is the description, right? The description itself is oftentimes vague, and I agree. The generic user story format is we've kind of a lot of people have evolved from it. There's there's something called job stories, which use a slightly different format. But acceptance criteria should be very explicit, very pass fail, yes no, thumbs up or thumbs down. It's done or it's not done. Where the user story is a description, is telling a story, and is meant to drive a conversation. It is not meant to be that explicit. The acceptance criteria is the criteria to say, is this functioning as we needed? Yes or no, it can't be vague. Yeah, so just imagine if you have, ensure that there are acceptance criteria that are clear. I mean, writing user stories and ensuring that their the user story makes sense is a plus. But I think the acceptance criteria, as you mentioned, Rob, is the the specific set of asks that the story is asking for, for it to be considered complete. And when that is not clear, then the developer, I think this might be, I'm, I'm doing a counter and then punching myself. But I think the idea, <laughs> I think the idea is that if the Join Godzilla, Bobby. Yeah. Join Godzilla. Come <laughs> just, on I'm just, just no, myself. It's a classic so, Kong move. Just punch yourself in the yeah, chest. So the idea <laughs> being that if a developer reaches a story that, May that they may think it's unclear acceptance criteria, then they should be asking questions about those acceptance criteria to ensure that everyone comes to an agreement before the story starts. Yeah, exactly. I think I think there's a big thing where one of the faux pas I see for developers is to, you know, maybe in grooming or refinement, you're looking through the story, or maybe later when you're working on it, and you realize there's a couple other different you know scenarios that I'm thinking about that aren't captured here. Well. That's not my job. I'll ignore that. Product person should have thought of it. <laughs> that is like a massive faux pas. No, no, no. Call that out. Get the product person on the phone. Talk to them. I More times than not, a, a developer has will catch things that I've missed. And they're really, really good things. Or can actually change the story for more impact. Because yes, I might have thought about that story and the acceptance criteria for you know, 20, 30 minutes. But you spending the time developing it and getting in the weeds, you're going to uncover things that I didn't think of. And that's extremely valuable to have that that open communication between us. Right. Yeah. Like you learn so much as you you go in and you you put, peel back the covers and see uh, how all the pieces are coming together and like what it actually means to like interact with the thing in a real way. And there's that phrase that certain front of the show loves to to say all the time uh stories of promise to have a conversation and that that's like closing the feedback loop like if you're learning things when you're doing the story then you should connect back to the product manager and hopefully they're available for you to have those conversations with i i know that that's that's another thing that maybe it's essentially related where it's like the product manager is just stretched so thin that they're just not available to have those conversations and like they need to put too much pressure on the acceptance criteria to be like bulletproof. Yeah, you're you're kind of missing to your point. You're kind of misunderstanding the role, and you're kind of almost thinking too highly of yourself and your work. You're not going to get it perfect. The point isn't to get it perfect. The point of the product owner is to get that initial pass, get the team's feedback to make it better, and then as you build it, be available to make it even better after that. Right. Like you're never it, we're not doing waterfall here. And that that breaks down to all the levels that breaks down from the, the high level planning to the basic planning to the, the middle of the building. It You can you can iterate, you can change, you can think about things. You're just looking for the outcomes and you really need to be focused on those outcomes rather than the specific task ahead of you or 
the the output, right? You're looking for outcomes. And if everyone's anchored on the right outcome, which a story will often give you, this user is trying to achieve this thing for some reason. If everyone anchors on that and rallies around that, the details can change and they should change because you should just do what, what is best based on the information you have. You know what really grinds my gears? I think the <laughs> when, you know, there could be a story that gets introduced by the product manager and like it usually follows up with that should be easy right like we should get that done really fast like oh, what do you guys one. think <laughs> oh yeah this is a one right do we have to go and vote and see if this is a one across the board people nah it's a one let's make that a one like i always find that really frustrating because i don't want to tell the product person or anyone how to do their job and i know they may not mean it that way but it definitely feels like you know, the person's trying to tell me how to live my life and do my job. And I'm not really keen on that, I guess. And especially the idea that, you know, or they work with one person, they may work with the tech lead and like do all the estimations that way. That's another thing that I've seen. Uh, have y'all seen anything like that before with estimations with the product owner and the tech lead? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, uh, I mean, Rob does it all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, y'all working together. Yeah, I'm joking, but like, I think you like to be so invested in it, but like, you hold your estimate close to your chest, and you're like, "Oh, okay, I was surprised by that." Like, you know, (laughs) but I I think that's the right way to do it, where you like maybe have an opinion, but you're not trying to put a thumb on the scale too much. Yeah, I think to Bobby's point, there's there's levels of how bad you can be. You can try to estimate it yourself as a product person. You can try to sway everyone and tell them what it should be. You can only work with one dev that you think will give you the estimate that you want, you know, and there's all these various levels. And I think for product people, I always take it as a learning opportunity. I don't code. I don't look at this stuff. So for me to learn about the complexity of something by hearing your estimate, I might ask you to explain it, but it shouldn't be because I think you're wrong. It's because I did. What did I not know? What's the opportunity for me to learn something about technology and development that I didn't know, which will make me better at thinking about the products I build. Get that feedback loop going. And also, like, if you're spending the time to do estimates, which is a time-consuming process, and you're putting your thumb on the scale in various ways to skew it, then you're losing a really powerful tool, like, to say no to things that might be more complicated than you think. Like, if it, if you think it's a one, but it's actually a, a five, then... Like you're gonna be like, maybe I don't actually need this. Maybe there's an alternative. Like let's let's think deeper on it. So yeah, like it's it's a tool. Look at it in the long term and do it as a team and it'll maybe you'll get good at it, but it's still really hard. <laughs> so <laughs> you're still gonna be wrong. Right. They're called estimates and not actuals, right? Like because you're busy you're estimating and you're learning the team and the infrastructure and the the code base you know what may need it to be refactored and what doesn't that particular part of the code base is pretty hairy so it's going to take x amount of time and uh, you know it's a it, it's you get better it's like you know like a thing that a routine that you do and you get better over time and with the same team you'll get the sense of how to do your estimations right one thing that I have seen before, and I'm I'm glad that we have Rob in the building to kind of help us out, is often the work that software engineers do is usually like just headphones on, you know, you give me the work and I'm just going to 
punch keys and semicolons until it works. And I don't want to talk to people. Do all product people think that that's how developers normally operate? I mean, I know that that could be a trope that I can see. Like I, I, I myself can be that kind of person. And I'm curious if like, does product also take like that, that extra people person role when it comes to operating within the team? So you got to keep the devs out of direct sunlight. <laughs> Don't make eye contact with the developers. <laughs> make sure they have snacks. Yeah, and get out snack. of the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just get them a clip coffee. Bar. A coffee. You always gotta have the coffee on deck. No, I think I think it's one of those things that there's like a very common misconception that engineering or tech or or any of those is like, look, they can't talk to people. They'll confuse the business. You know, uh, they can't speak business and business can't speak tech. So that's why I'm here. And I need to build this wall between them to save them from from this terrible conversation where everyone will get upset. It, it's not true. I think the thing is you have to understand the frame that people are coming from and their skill sets and their knowledge base. So when a finance person comes in and starts talking to a tech person, you know, don't you don't want to just have the conversation be around, we need to make this much money this year. How can we do this with software? What a ridiculous question. Right? Like no engineer is gonna no engineer is gonna be able to answer that. And also you want to protect your engineers from from having to deal with someone saying, Hey, what are you working on? This is the most important thing right now. No, that that's not that's not oh, that man. like role. the CEO yeah. coming in. <laughs> yeah, but there it's just a matter of getting people comfortable and having the right conversation that happens gradually over time. The more you can get your developers to be thought of as partners with the business and knowing them individually. And we do a couple of things on our team that I really love is our developers are demoing the work that they complete directly to the stakeholders, whether that be the CEO of a company or a finance person. And not only that, all the work that we complete, shout out to Double D from Stride, who started <laughs> this, all the work that's completed, we say who developed it. We say, this feature was developed by Dave Anderson. Thank you, Dave, for building this. You have to have a connection between your developers and your stakeholders, because that's how you get the most knowledge sharing, the most understanding, the most robust conversations. If you have a pigeonhole of just a product person is the only person who hears from both sides, you're playing whisper down the lane or telephone or whatever game you play <laughs> as a child that will explain to you how bad of an idea that is. Right. And, but I guess like there, there really is like a critical role for the product manager to find like a common ground or a common language that like can facilitate the conversation between the two. Because like you're saying like, if a finance or marketing person's in there and they're like, oh, I got my KPIs, like I got to like push my numbers and like, it's like, okay, like I appreciate the help of someone like being like, okay, like what does it actually mean for the area that we're working on? Like what, what is the, the metric that we are caring about? Like what, what kind of is the overlap between us? I have a question about the, the shielding. What if like, and this may have to do with with the organization itself outside of the developer and product. But what if the product manager feels like they need to shield them from like the feedback that they may get from the stakeholders? What if like the stakeholders are like raw and authentic and they're saying, yo, this is trash. <laughs> like, why did that load up in five? Why did it take five seconds to load? And everyone knows why it's complicated, but like the stakeholder, or the people they're deming, demoing it to may have, you know, some like some critical feedback that might be, you know, what's, what's the, like the radical candor feedback that can be right. delivered or during like, a demo. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. So here would be my thing. And, and maybe this is throwing it over to you guys. 
do you think it's better for the product person, one person to feel all that pain or directly, or do you think it's better for the entire team to feel and hear that feedback, right? I think if I heard, I've seen developers be like, yeah, my product person's pissed off. That's their job. They take the hit. I don't need to hear it. Well, that's not going to motivate you or incentivize you as much as all of us jointly as a team, not as the product person, us as a team riding and dying by what we deliver. Good, <laughs> bad, ugly. It's not the product person's job. It's not their fault. It's everyone, right? So you ha- it, that, I think that's really important to building that team mentality of we really don't want to point fingers. We want to say we as our team delivered this. You don't think it's good enough? Let's chat about it. But uh, you don't point at the developers. You don't point at the product person. You say... This is what we did. We're proud of it. Let's chat. Yeah. And I think that some of you just brought up like the idea of like the product manager having to take all that feedback in by themselves and like write it out and make it more, the feedback more tangible would be a little difficult on the product managers to have to deal with that. And I'm pretty sure that if multiple people were in the room listening, the feedback that gets dished out wouldn't be as radical candored, I would say. And if so, then we're going to have to fight outside. That's just how I feel. Like that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> but you also brought up a, a good thing that that reminds me is like, I have been in, in multiple like spring reviews where we're, 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 we're demoing what we've done and we've gotten feedback. And I think Dave, this was while you, me and you were working together. We've gotten feedback from a stakeholder and we take the feedback. We say, great, but it wasn't just me. The whole team was there. And when we go back and discuss it as a team, my interpretation as the product person was actually wrong, right? was incorrect. I said, oh, I, they meant this. Let's go build that. And luckily my whole team was there and they go, I don't, that's not what I understood the feedback to mean. I thought it was this. Right, And everyone on the team besides me thought that. And I go, wow, I must be wrong. We go double check with the stakeholder. Yeah, the product person was wrong. Thank God the whole team was there to give their own interpretations of what they meant. And we had more than one perspective because we would have gone and wasted a lot of time building something yeah. that I thought. And I think that's like a great mindset for a developer to have where it's like you want to build the right thing. You want your software to be useful and used. So like having that connection with the stakeholder, like internal or like even the customer, like going out in the field and like having your product manager like connect you with product or with customers who are actually using the software and are impacted by it. Like you can better empathize with the solution you're trying to build and like second guess if the proposed solution may not be the most ideal one. I think there was a couple of the product faux pas. Although Rob held it down and actually had a couple counter punches yeah, to that. God, Godzilla in one corner, King yeah, Kong Godzilla and Diddy the- Kong in the other corner. <laughs> yeah, we, we got we got we got a little lumps. We got a couple I got a black eye. I'm cool though. Uh <laughs> we'll talk about we're definitely gonna want to talk about more of the dev faux pas because I know there's a couple up my sleeve that I've definitely I'm gonna punch <laughs> myself a lot next time Dave I'm sorry we might lose we might just lose yeah we'll have to say best best out of, out of three but yeah we're gonna have the best out of three this one best out of three there you go follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going like what you hear give us a five star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole and never miss an episode subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.